This morning, the scripture reading will be taken from Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14, and also verse 19. Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14, and verse 19. This could be found on page 1034 in the Pew Bibles. But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But, on what, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Verse 19. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us. We welcome the Rose family. It's a blessing to have you with us, and we look forward to worshiping and serving together. How wonderful it is to be a part of God's family. Our young people, some of them at least, are excited because they will be out of school for a couple of weeks. But as they look forward to that, we as a congregation have something even more exciting than that. Our ninth through 12th graders will begin their foundations program that we uh, do each fall, and that will be at 4.15 this afternoon. So be sure, parents, and mark that in your child's schedule, and young people look forward to that. It will be a tremendous time to, to gain uh, knowledge and training, better to serve God. When you think of great individuals, what comes to your mind? Allow me to mention just a few in the scriptures. If you thought of Noah, what comes to your mind about a great individual? Abraham. Samson. What comes to your mind when you mention David? What comes to your mind when you mention Paul? You know, probably great acts that proved their faith came to your mind. But you know, sometimes we forget that Noah struggled at least at one point in his life as a drunkard. We forget the fact that Abraham struggled with being completely honest more than once. We forget the fact sometimes when we think of the great strength that Samson displayed that he had, it seemed, absolutely no strength over his immorality. We can give a long list of things that David did that was wonderful, but yet we can also give a pretty sizable list of things that he did that were terrible. And wow, when we think of Paul, we think of that man that wrote almost half the books of the New Testament, and that man that probably was the greatest missionary that's ever lived. But we forget the times that he took individuals' lives because they were a member of the same church you're a member of, and because they believed the same thing you believed they were persecuted, and they were thrown into prisons. You see, I want you to think with me this morning of this fact. When we think of great individuals, we don't think of great individuals that never struggle to understand. We do not think of a, a great individual and say they've never struggled with godly living. 
This morning, I believe there are many individuals here that are great individuals. I hope this lesson is an encouragement to us to realize that in God's sight, great individuals are not perfect. But great individuals are forgiven. Great individuals come back to God. And great individuals give their life in service to God. Great individuals are willing to admit when they're wrong. Great individuals are willing to make the changes in their life when that admittance has been made. We just had so capably read for us the beginning of our text this morning. It's that scripture that really is mind-boggling. Peter, why in the world did you do what you did? That barrier that had been built up between the Jew and the Gentile, that's a prejudice probably unlike any prejudice that we have known in our modern day, at least here in America. And that prejudice was so strong, and it was so wide, and it was so tall. And Paul and Peter had given their life to going about and destroying that prejudice between the Jew and the Gentile, and bringing them into one church. One of the great battles of the early church was to make sure that there wasn't a Jewish sect, Church of Christ, and a Gentile Church of Christ. But yet there would be the Lord's Church. And now Peter is eating with the Gentiles. He's eating with those that are not circumcised. And he looks at the distance and he sees those of James arriving. Can we say why? Well, the Scriptures tells us it's simply this, fear. Fear of those that are arriving. Fear they wouldn't accept him. Fear they might spread word. Fear of what? We don't know exactly, but fear caused him to separate himself. And when he did that, other great individuals followed also. One of the greatest men of the New Testament, Barnabas, he followed right along with Peter, and others did the same thing. And Paul immediately steps up toe-to-toe, face-to-face, and says, this has to stop. We're addressing this problem right here because it's far too serious to overlook. Paul loved the church. Paul loved Jews. Paul loved Gentiles. Paul loved Peter. Paul loved Barnabas. Paul probably knew and loved each of those people that he's rebuking. Paul would not sacrifice the truth for a moment like this, even though the confrontation must have been difficult. But yet we can flip that same coin over and we can say, Peter... Of all people, Peter should have known. I want to jog your memory again. We're we're thinking this morning about those that are greats. I think Peter is one of the greatest men that we read about in the Bible. I think if we took and listed the strengths and the accomplishments of this man, he stands in a tremendous light, a spotlight of a spiritual giant. But yet every now and then Peter would do something where we just kind of shake our head and say, not only Peter, why did you do that? But this morning I want you to realize that this particular occasion in Galatians 2 isn't exactly like all the other mistakes that we might read about Peter. This one right here you'd say, not only why did you do that, of this one you would even say, Peter of all people, of all people you should have known this. Let's take five or ten minutes to build this point. Why? Why can we say, of all people, Peter, you should have known not to separate from the Gentiles? Go with me to Acts the second chapter. In Acts the second chapter, we see Peter preaching to the Jews. And as that large Jewish gathering was underway, he's boldly preaching to them by inspiration. 
Now, I need to note something here. By inspiration would mean that the speaker would speak the truth, but it doesn't mean that the speaker would understand it or believe it. And so at this point, Peter preaches a powerful sermon, and I believe he understood most of what he's preaching, and I believe he understood most of what he preached and believed it. But now let's look here. In verse 37, you see, that's when the people cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then look in Acts, the second chapter, in verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, just after you're circumcised. No, it didn't say that. That's not here. Although that becomes the huge issue in Galatians 2. Are we going to eat together? Well, do you have faith in Christ? Yes. Have you been circumcised? Yes. Okay, we can eat together. I mean, Peter maybe didn't come out and say that that day, but that's what his actions are saying. On this day, he preached that individuals could come to Christ. They could come to Christ as a believer, as one that's willing to repent, and one that would be baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. But now notice this next, verse 39. For the promises to you and your children... And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You see this promise of Jesus being the Savior, this promise of the means of salvation. He's saying to a group of Jews, he says, look, this is a promise to you. And it's generational. It's a promise even to your children, your children's children. But then he's saying something that there's no doubt he does not understand completely what he's saying at this point. He says, it's not only for the Jews... This is also for those who are afar off. This is for the Gentiles, for those that have not been called to Christ yet. You see, he spoke it, but he was struggling to believe it. He was struggling to understand it. Let's flip a few pages to Acts the 10th chapter. Acts the 10th chapter, Cornelius was a Gentile that wanted to know what God's will was in his life. And just as we see a miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was promised in Acts 1 to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit that they would receive, note this, baptism of the Holy Spirit was was never something that people went out and did. It was a promise that they received, and it was a miraculous outpouring as the church began among the Jewish nation in Acts 2. And now we're about to read of that same miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit among the Gentiles in Acts 10. How are the Gentiles going to learn this? Well, they have to be taught this. Look in the ninth, Acts uh, the 10th chapter. Look at verse 9. Peter's up on top of his house, and it's the sixth hour. In other words, it's noon. He's up there praying. And in verse 10, he fell into a trance. In verse 11, he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet. Bound at the, uh, a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never, that's strong language, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. 
This was done three times. Three times God had to show him there's no longer the uncommon or the unclean. And it's especially related to mankind. God was preparing to send him to the Gentiles. And of course, a Jewish reaction was, Lord, I can't go preach to them. I can't even go in the same house with them. I can't even eat a meal with them. Lord, they're, they're unclean. You know that from a little bitty boy, my mom and daddy raised me to never have anything to do with the Gentile. We never sat down and ate with them. We never mixed and mingled with them. I will not have anything to do with that. Three times the Lord saying, this is changing. Things are different now. And that change, he believed it. The following verses of Acts 10 here, we see that he goes down and he meets the individuals that would have been two servants and a soldier that Cornelius sent to him. They stayed that night in his home. That shows right there that there was a tremendous change in the life of Peter. I would offer to you that he probably would not have invited them to spend the night with him if he had not had that trance or that vision. And when he enters into Cornelius' house, I want you to recognize what appears to be the setting in the Scripture here. When he enters into his house, first they just visit. Now after that, he actually preaches a sermon, but let's not confuse the two. Notice what he says in his visit as we look at verse 28. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I Ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? See, he's not even clear yet what reason. But he's beginning this visit by saying, you understand, this is something odd to me. And you can say, but wait a minute, back in Acts 2, you said that the gospel was for all nations. And you can imagine Peter is sitting here saying, I'm struggling to understand really what is God's will in all this. He says, you know the only reason I'm here is because God sent me because I thought before that you would be uncommon, you'd be unclean, that I shouldn't have anything to do with you. But I believe God wants me to be here. What do you want? And he tells him what he wants. He wants to hear the gospel. This is the first Gentile Friends Day. That's right, he was having friends that he invited his friends and his family over because they wanted to hear about God. And so notice what the beginning of this sermon, we don't have time to develop this whole sermon, but I want you to notice of all the places, it makes sense that he started here. And by the way, can I point out to you, he also brought other men with him. And so those verses that we just read up here, 28 and 29, he probably was saying that as much for himself and for those men as why he was saying it for Cornelius. In other words, he's trying to talk himself through this. Have you ever been in a situation where... You knew you were doing right, but at the same time, you kind of found it hard to believe that you were actually doing this, and you just kind of kept saying out loud, I know this is what God wants me to do. I know this is exactly what God wants me to do. And you're just telling yourself, I know. Yeah. Friends, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I can just almost imagine Peter walking in that house, and he's just almost trying to repeat that over and over. I'm only here because this is what God wants me to do. He showed me this trance. I know that I'm supposed to be here. Wow, he's struggling. 
He's trying to get this. But you know, he's about to preach a sermon, and he's going to preach his sermon by inspiration. Notice where this sermon starts. Verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and he said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. From there, he tells them about the God that shows no partiality, that wants the Gentiles to be saved just like he wanted the Jews to be saved. He wanted the uncircumcised to be saved just as he wanted the circumcised to be saved. And from there, word spread, as you can imagine, like wildfire. Word got back to Judea. And so there has to be a quick conference among what in the world just happened. And so they received word in the 11th chapter, and in verse 2, Peter came up to Jerusalem. Those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them? You see, he had actually gone in and not only ate with them, but he baptized them in the Christ remission sins, and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't this interesting? Out of the word that spread, apparently, what really spread and what got attention was the fact he went in and ate with them. Now, isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit was poured upon them. They spoke in tongues. They were baptized into Christ. You would think that's what spread. You would think, hey, come up to Jerusalem. We want to talk to you. We hear the Gentiles were baptized in Christ. We hear the Holy Spirit poured them out. Oh, no, no, no. We hear you went in and you ate with Gentiles? What are you thinking? And so he tells the story. He told how he saw a trance and how the angel told him to go and how an angel tore Cornelius to send messengers to him and how God is working through all this and how he went in. And the same thing that happened in Acts 2 to us on the day of Pentecost, he would say, the Holy Spirit pouring out is the same thing that happened then. And so with that in mind, he says at the end of 17, who was it, who was I that I could uh, withstand God? He said, God told me to go. God told me the message. God told me to baptize them. Who am I that I can withstand God? Now, do you have this picture painted in your mind? You see the contention going on? The Jews saying, how can you even eat with them? And them saying, man, this is more than just a meal. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I can picture what I think this might look like in 18. When they heard this, they became silent. Can you imagine? They've never seen anything like this. This was nothing they'd ever heard of before. You can imagine them just kind of rehearsing it in their mind. You mean to tell me that Jews and Gentiles are going to be in one church? Notice the rest of this. It's beautiful. It shows us the strength of these individuals that they accept something they'd never believed in the past. Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. The phrase right before that, they glorified God, saying. They gave the glory to God. Friends, do I need to remind you where we are in this lesson? Who's doing all this? It was Peter that stood up and said, the Lord's going to accept that nation. It's Peter that God actually sent to Cornelius. It's Peter that had to go back to Jerusalem and say, guys, this is okay. Let's glorify God. The Gentiles, they can have repentance of life now. 
It's Peter as we go back to Galatians, the second chapter, and the text that we read last week. You remember verses 6 through 9? You see that phrase in the middle of verse 9 where he says, And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, In other words, you remember last week we talked about how Peter accepted the fact that Paul was to go out and to teach the Gentile nation. It's Peter that had all of this understanding that was eating with the Gentiles and got up and separated himself. How in the world can he do that? Have you ever done something in your life where you knew something, you knew it to be true, you knew what it ought to be, And yet the day after you look back and you said, why did I do that? I knew that was wrong. I knew that wasn't the way to handle that. Why did I do that? I'd suggest to you that that may have been exactly what Peter experienced. He had so much to look back upon and say, I should have known better. I should have done better. I don't know what went across. I don't know what happened. I don't know what crossed my mind. But I know this. I know that we see what he did was terrible. I I want you to notice again as we uh, look at 12 and 13. And as we look at 12 and 13, I want you to think about the action, the motive, and the results here. We're in Galatians, the second chapter, the text that was just read. Look at 12 again. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were the circumcision, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with Peter so that even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. What was the action here? The action was he was eating with Gentiles just like he ought to be doing. But then, but then when he saw the other Jews, he withdrew and separated. Strong emphasis there to use two different words. To withdraw means to cower. It means to kind of slide out of something. It's trying to be discreet, but yet to separate. But then he uses the word separate. The word separate carries with it limits and boundaries. In other words, by inspiration, God wanted us to know Peter was trying to place a boundary between him and those Jews. The action was terrible. But notice the motive. The motive was fear. You see there? Fearing those at the end of 12, fearing those of the circumcision. You may have heard me mention this before, and we've had, I think, at least one lesson on this a good while back. But if you want to just place something in your memory, and when you study strong individuals making mistakes in the Scriptures, you look for the word fear around their mistake and you'll usually find it. I don't know exactly when weak people make mistakes, but I can tell you from the Scriptures, strong people make mistakes when they're afraid. And here his fear was those of the Jews. Now notice the result. The result was he played the role of a hypocrite. The word hypocrite literally comes from the theatrical world. It's the idea of a man or a lady on stage. It's playing the part. In other words, back years ago, sometimes not only they have different costumes, they have different masks. And maybe a, an actor or an actress would come out with a mask, 
and they would play a role and then they would go behind curtain and they would put on another mask and they would hold that mask up and they would play another role. Well, of course, in real life, they were neither of those characters. In real life, they would lay the mask out to live their life. But yet the word hypocrite came from the word of playing the role, of putting on the mask, of donning a character. And so it is, that's what hypocrisy is. It's when we're one thing to one people and we're something else to another crowd. And so Peter, he's accused of being a hypocrite here because when it was just Gentiles there, he was comfortable to act like a Gentile. But when the Jews were there, he wasn't comfortable wearing that mask. When the Jews came up, he laid the mask down and the real Peter showed up. And that's what's scary. That's what hurts. Apparently, the real Peter was still prejudiced. He still was struggling with the very thing that he was preaching against. And so it is, let's make these observations of a great man. Sometimes Peter struggled to understand. Great people do that. Sometimes he struggled to do what he did understand. Great people do that. Sometimes for great people, the deadly combination is fear and peers. Even strong people will sometimes do the thing that they would never do if they just would have been standing in a different crowd. Remember when Peter was standing beside Jesus? He was willing to draw out his sword and confront an entire band of soldiers. But when he was separated from Jesus, he not only denied once and twice, but three times because he was with a different crowd. So what did Paul do? Look at Galatians, the second chapter in verse 11. Then when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. He went toe-to-toe, face-to-face. He did what he had to do because he loved Peter. He loved the church. He loved Jews, and he loved Gentiles. But friends, what do you think Peter's reaction is going to be at this point? Because after all, we're talking about this morning what do strong individuals do? You know, sometimes those that are weaker, when they're confronted with their wrong, they just start to point fingers. Well, Paul, this, this is your problem. Paul, you're just not seeing things right. Paul, you're falsely accusing me. Paul, you're trying to spread rumors about me. But you know, we don't see that reaction with Peter. Although this text doesn't tell us exactly what unfolded that day, we have to appreciate the fact that Paul didn't go around spreading rumors, talking behind his back, saying, let's schedule a series of meetings with church leaders and let's try to find out what's right. He knew what was right. But I want to show you two passages as we draw this lesson to a close. If you would, look at 1 Peter, the second chapter, and verse 9. 1 Peter, the second chapter. Of course, we're going to the book that Peter wrote. And we're going to see out of one of the books that he has written what, by the time he would write, what he would say about those of the Gentiles. Notice as we pick up in the middle of a thought here in second chapter, verse 9 of 1 Peter, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now notice this phrase, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not 
a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. By the time he writes Peter, he's wholly convinced. He proclaims them not only as acceptable, but he gives them the name that was usually given to the Jewish people. You're a holy nation. But have you ever wondered, I wonder what he thought about Paul. Let's go over to the second Peter, the third chapter, his second epistle. Second Peter, the third chapter in verse 15. And he says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to his own wisdom given to him, has written to you. He loved him. I don't suggest to you that that would have been an easy day for Peter to be corrected in front of a crowd that he had misled that crowd. But yet he loved and appreciated Paul to the point that his description of him would be my beloved brother. And he would respect his writings, realizing that he was writing by inspiration and refer to them. This morning, I want you to think with me about this great character, Peter. And if we could have just a closing interview with Peter. Say, Peter... Have you ever made mistakes in your life? You're, you're remembered as one of the greats. And can you imagine a smile turning up and saying, Mistakes? Wow, that time on the mountain where I got that three temple idea and God himself broke the silence of heaven to correct me? Yeah, I've, I've made mistakes. Or that time where Jesus looked at me and called me Satan? and said, get behind me? Or that time that I had my eyes on Jesus standing on the water, but then I started watching the waves, and I started to sink. Or that time that I denied my Lord three times. I've made my mistakes. But Peter... How did you accomplish so much? You know, with each one of those, Peter was very intentional, very honest with his correction. I didn't build three temples. I said, let's listen to him. If he's God's beloved son and God wants us to hear him, that's who I want to hear. I didn't stand in his way on the way to the cross. As a friend, I didn't want him to go to the cross, but I didn't stop him from going to the cross. I wasn't going to play the role of Satan. And in the water, you can remember me for sinking, but don't ever forget who I cried out for. When I recognized my lack of faith, I knew there was only one solution. Lord, save me. And when I denied, I went out and wept bitterly. And when Jesus came back to chastise me to my face, I stood there, and I didn't make excuses. I accepted him. Each time he asked me, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I proved for the rest of my life that I loved him. And when I made my mistake, that's written in Galatians 2, I no longer built up that wall 
between the Jew and the Gentile. But I gave my life to destroy that barrier. Friends, please think about this awesome example. Great individuals struggle to understand oftentimes. Great individuals struggle to live a godly life sometimes. But great individuals always come back to their God. Great individuals always admit their wrongs. Great individuals always submit to His plan of salvation. This morning, if there's something that you need to turn around in your life, won't you align yourselves with the spiritual greats this morning, not because of your own righteousness, but our greatness is found in Christ. We're crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. If you've never been baptized in Christ for remission of sins, or you let sin separate you, won't you come back repenting, confessing, and let's pray for God's forgiveness. For you help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.